two notes here at the top of the show, friends. A, and they're both Danny's fault, let me say. Um, A, we were supposed to record this episode a solid uh, two and a half hours ago. Something like that. And so my memories are now pretty diluted because it's been a while because Danny remembered she had something else to do, even though I gave her the, the, the option to choose the time of the original recording. That's point one. Point B is throughout the episode, I am going to have indigestion because I am currently housing Chinese food because we are recording this episode during the time I would be eating dinner. But because Danny forgot she had other things to do, we are now recording it late. Ergo, I'm eating orange chicken as we record. Hello, welcome to Creating Magic Podcast. Doctor Who is very important. Not important enough for you to remember you had to watch it when I asked you what time you'd like to record. Oh, I'm sorry. Stop being a jerk. Oh, I was so excited to start this episode the minute you said you had the delay. Oh, it was I I was waiting for this all afternoon. How did you enjoy your rewatch? The one I watched like five hours ago at this point. I might have to rewatch the rewatch because I don't really, you know. You've been watching these movies for how long? Are you really telling me that three hours? Yes. The way that I do these rewatches is not as similar to how I record these episodes insofar as I watch them. I take a bunch of notes. I stop taking notes about midway through. And then I rely on all my flashbulb memories from having just watched it to get me through the rest of the episode. Which kind of I record. Like when I record this thing, the second we're done recording, I don't remember what the hell I said. Like similar, not a wholly dissimilar concept. So let's see how this goes. Friends, we're talking today about Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, the sixth installment in the Harry Potter franchise. This movie came out in 2009. Danny, what were you doing in 2009? In 2009, I was in the end of my first year of AmeriCorps. So I would have been Denver, Colorado. Had you yes, because I saw it. I saw this with my AmeriCorps friends. We went to downtown Denver to see this at midnight. Had you qualified yet for Social Security? What were you doing in 2009? 2009. So this came out when? July or whatever, I'm assuming? November, July, something like that. That would have put me... In my sophomore year of high school. So at this point, at this point, I had a girlfriend who I deeply adored in high school, and we were uh, going on many lovely dates. For Order of the Phoenix, listeners may recall from, I'm assuming just last week, maybe two weeks ago, depending on when this comes out, I gave Danny some little pop culture mini trivia questions. We're going to do that again. Danny. Did you know that Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince had the highest budget of any of the Harry Potter uh, movie installments? No, I did not. Do you know how much that budget was? Was was it A, $175 million, B, $225 million, C, $250 million, or D, $280 million? Let's go with B. And the answer is C, $250 million. Danny, in 2009, of all the movies that came out, do you want to guess where Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince ranked on the highest grossing films? 
I have no idea what came out that year, especially because I was in AmeriCorps and we didn't do a lot of media. Um, um, maybe you, you, you got the guess let's... right last time in terms of where it fell on the top 10. Do you want to guess where it fell on the top 10? Let's put it at number three. No, uh, it came second. Once again, two movies in a row for Harry Potter that finished second in highest grossing. Do you want to take a rough guess how much it grossed? Not really. $394 million. Do you want to know, or not, well, you will know once I tell you, but do you want to guess what the top grossing movie of 2009 was? I have no idea what came out in 2009. Avatar. Oh. A movie I have never seen, but there's blue people or blue something. Have you ridden the ride yet? I have not been to Animal Kingdom since I was a wee young lad. So, no, I have not. We're going to have to change that. We are going to have to change that. One more question for you, Dan. Do you know, across the entire Harry Potter film franchise, of all of the scenes that were filmed outside of Leaves and Studios, do you know how many scenes were filmed outside of the United Kingdom? Is part A. And part B, which scenes were they? You're going to have to answer all that. So the answer is one scene across the entire Harry Potter film franchise. One scene was filmed outside of the UK. That scene, the cliffs, exactly. The cliffs of Moor, which are in County Clare in Ireland. I have been there as of many, many, many thousands upon thousands of US tourists and other tourists over the years. Um, The cliffs, of course, coming up at the end of the movie when Dumbledore and Harry arrive on that stormy rock outside of the cave. So what'd you think about the movie? I may have liked number five more than number six. I didn't not enjoy it. It's a slower pace than five. I felt like a lot of the scenes we were getting were like snippets of scenes. Like everything seemed like very like, let's have the scene. So you get the point, you understand where there are and move on. I enjoyed it. I didn't not like watching it, but I think I, I think five still ranks higher than six for me right now. What about you? I agree that I prefer Order of the Phoenix over Half-Blood Prince. Um, while I don't disagree with anything you said, I think my reasoning is a bit different. I like this movie. I think it's very just a different articulation of what I think you were saying is it very much is like just little vignettes in the life. Like it's not necessarily a plot driven movie. Obviously there is a plot and there's a culmination point that we get to, but it's, it's very much more seemingly unconnected moments that all of a sudden tie together into this massive culmination at the end of the movie. The thing that would have, the thing I really disliked about this movie. Well, I guess a couple of things I disliked, but a couple of them are obvious. The thing that I noticed upon rewatch that I didn't, hadn't necessarily viscerally caught on to before i really hate the sepia filter they have over this entire film i wish we got not necessarily like a like a procedural kind of you know sitcom kind of full color like not that fake vibrance i just want a regularly colorized movie from the harry potter yeah. film franchise it, because there's so many scenes where it's just devoid of every ounce of color except for like the sheen of Gambin's beard or, or Felton's hair and yeah everything's ugh. very drab and then like the pensive scenes tend to like go more green whereas everything else was very either sepia or it would lean blue in certain scenes but the pensive seemed very green 
Yeah, I, it, the color really did it for me, mm-hmm. right? Because I came into this movie knowing that, of course, it has two of my, it, it is it is heavier on two of my least favorite acting performances from the series being Michael Gambon and Bonnie Wright. And so I knew that, right? I was like, okay, I, I really want to. But they were, you know, I, I, that aside, the mo- I liked the movie. I thought it was good. I thought it, it did a lot of good stuff. I just... I, I <sighs> felt disconnected from characters I normally feel connected for. Like who? Like, I think in general, like, I just didn't really connect with any of the characters because you, besides Harry and Dumbledore, you really just see glimpses of everyone. Like, there's no real, like, it goes beyond surface level, but not as much as I would have liked. And I like character development and like, yes, they've been developing these characters, but I just, it just felt more disconnected than the other films. I don't know if I'm explaining that correctly. So the movie opens and we talked about this last time. So I wrote in my notes for this, for this order of the Phoenix opens very dark as this movie does too, in terms of the actual visual color and and the intro. Uh, But Order opens with this very low orchestral, like cello or bass line kind of going. This opens with a very <clears throat> like suspenseful, I don't want to say playful, because that's certainly not the right word, but it, it, it's a much more suspenseful and bouncy kind of melody. And it's very quick. It's very like, quick. It gets you right in there. There's no like slow transition. It's like, here's what's happening. Go. Here's another pop culture question for you. Do you know the name of the bridge um, that the Death Eaters uh, destroy in the opening scene there? Isn't it like Millennium Bridge, but the bridge that it's supposed to be wasn't actually like built or something when the movie was filmed? Isn't there some crazy weird bridge? Okay, I can't speak to that second one because that's not true. I don't. There may be something else that you're... The the bridge is the Millennium Bridge. That is correct. Um, It opened fittingly um, in 2000. I have been on that bridge many a time. Uh, yeah, that was just my little pop culture insert for the beginning here. The cafe. So I have a lot of notes here on the cafe. It's so random. Well, so I'm I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it as the opening for a couple of, like I'm fine with this shift from the book for a couple of different reasons. Well, here, let me go here first. Do you know last time we did, do you know what a toss pot is? Do you know what a tosser is? Because Harry says a bit of a tosser, really, when half the de- definition of a toss pot with an er at the end. Okay, you're, so I mean, you're not wholly off. A, a tosser is a stupid or despicable person, according to Google. Um, interesting thing for Harry to call himself. Look, I've done the self deprecating flirtation thing, and it definitely works. Um, another thing that felt odd to me is Harry reading the Daily Prophet in the middle of this muggle cafe. Like I get there's like two people in there, but the muggle waiters picked up on it. Like that feels illegal. No. A bit. Yeah. It, it, it felt odd to me. Also going back to your random fact per Harry Potter wiki, the millennium bridge located in London was used to represent the Brockdale bridge in the film adaption of Harry Potter and the half blood Prince. The millennium bridge was not used however to portray the Brockdale Bridge, but rather as itself. That's where I got my confusion. That's what it is. In, in the books, because it's the Brockdale. Because in the books, it was 1996. Correct. That's where... All right. Good, 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 um, good call back there. I like that. Um, so I guess a couple other things I'll say about this. 
Uh, Alarica Johnson, the cafe girl. I thought she was wonderful. Mm-hmm. thought she was great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good little cameo for her. She's currently in a Stars series right now called P-Valley. I looked that up. The other thing I really liked before I get to what I didn't like about this opening, which is the, you know, going to be a shocking turn of events when I go to what I didn't like coming here in a second. But when Harry says, I like riding around on trains, that's what I like about this opening scene is like having ridden the London Underground you know, thousands of times in my life and also just appreciating public transportation, weirdly enough. I, I can very much see Harry kind of just like desolately sitting there, just riding to the different stops and just like doing whatever, like on the platform, getting back on and going. Like, I, I liked that, like that. To get out of the house and everything, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I really, I really liked, to me at least, that line explains why they reset this whole thing at the train station rather than the book opening for Harry. So I, I yeah, like that. It's also weird to use the phrase reckless for like he's he's riding on trains. Yeah. Oh, let's go there. So <laughs> from that opening little couplet alone of just the two of them on the train platform, I wrote in all caps and underlined with a, with a with a line what three different times in the span of like thirty seconds. I think do as I say. I, I, what? I mean. Look, Gambit is bad in this movie, guys. He was good in five, but it's back to bad. I mean, the whole do as I say, I don't understand that. Apparating with no explanation as to what's about to happen is so un-Dumbledore-ish, un-Dumbledore-esque, un-Dumbledore-like, I don't understand. Um, Harry saying, after all these years, I just sort of go with it. makes That's not how this works. That's never how this has worked. I What? And, okay, I'll stop there and let you comment before we go into the house. What the hell? It's just a weird little conversation. It seems out of character. Yeah, I don't know. Like, the coldness of Dumbledore is back. Like it Well, I guess it didn't leave, but it's still here at a point where their relationship should be stronger. Not... It is out of character once again. Yeah. Right, because it was in character in five. And now it is out of character once again. Yes. Um, speaking of reckless, to your point, Harry rides trains all summer. Dumbledore just straight up licks random blood. <laughs> you want to talk about reckless? Like blood is dripping from a ceiling of a house. And Dumbledore's like, hey, I'm going to lick it to figure out what it is. What? Wild. Wild. Absolutely wild. I do enjoy the magic of putting the house back together. Like, yeah, so, I know it's just like inconsequential stuff, but I'm like, it's just nice to kind of be like, oh yeah, we're in this very magical world and it's not all about fighting and classes. Yeah. So I, to, to credit where credit is due, I think this entire back and forth between Jim Broadbent and Michael Gambon, Slughorn, Dumbledore in the house is very good. I think Jim Broadbent is just spot on from his first moment. I think with the notable exception of one line, uh, I'll get to you in a second. Gambin inside Slughorn's house or the house he's staying in is very good. He's like almost whimsical. He has like this little lilt in his voice. Like there's emotion that's not like cold, distant anger. I love it. It's great. The one complaint I have after they put the house back together, Dumbledore says in a very high kind of lilty voice, that was fun. Can I use the loo? And like it just it, without any pause in between. He goes from like, ah, it's a, can I use the, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. But he likes knitting. Again, a great, that's a good Gambin moment. That's as whimsical and kind of just living in the moment Dumbledore as you're going to get from him. And I love it. I love it. Um, one thing I, I thought was funny here. I won't go into my whole deep dive here, but when Slughorn says, I expect a raise. So Hogwarts professors are paid. Who's doing the paying? Where are they getting the money from? And to what end is that salary going? Because as far as we know, they only live outside of the castle for a couple months out of the year. Well, we know McGonagall is gambling away any teaching money she is receiving towards. She's not gambling it away. She's raking it in. Please. She, she, doesn't, she doesn't lose any bets. McGonagall only bets to win. Who's paying? I don't know. They have a board, so... Right, but there's no tuition. There's no tuition. They have to pay for all their school supplies. Where are they getting the money from? The ministry. (laughs) Everything's a ministry school. They put oversight in it, so therefore it's somehow. So I want to go there right now, actually. I'm going to jump ahead, and we'll, so listeners, we're going to jump ahead in scenes, but we're going to come right back, I promise. So to the point about the ministry running everything here, something I found extremely odd was when McGonagall was explaining to Harry that he can take potions because Slughorn allows exceeds expectations, but Snape only required, you know, O's, outstandings to go into their newts. Does that mean that these like board certified like education tests are like the expectations for them are subjectively set by individual professors rather than like a governing body? I don't understand that. Like either you have objective standards or you don't. How can professors set different levels of who they accept into those classes? Um, maybe it's kind of like AP classes where like, if the t- I don't know, I, I was trying to go on a thought and I'm like, yeah, that just still doesn't make sense because the standards are being set by the teacher that teaches it and who they will accept in their class. And so like, yeah, I, 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 I found that odd is the point. Um, it just, that all tied into my whole does the ministry run everything? If not, who does? How come there's these notably weird exceptions? Whatever. Anyhow, um, I guess we get to the borough. Before we get to the borough, why does Dumbledore apparate him into a swamp? Yeah, that's odd. When he's like, I'm going to choose to leave you in a swamp. Like, he knows where the borough is. He's been to the borough. Like, why are you throw him in a swamp? But here's so here's here's if you really want me to play play chess with this instead of checkers. If throughout the series, if Dumbledore, if Gammon's Dumbledore is whimsical and fun, Harry getting dropped in a swamp, followed by Mrs. Weasley having no freaking clue that Harry was like going, oh, that man. Like that would be fun. It would come across as funny. It'd be a moment of levity. Instead, it's like, well, why is Dumbledore leaving him in a swamp? hundred percent with you. A jerk move like it's gonna be funny if i can leave him on two feet of water and then molly saying when jenny's like is harry here molly's like harry who i understand exactly. she's not expecting harry potter to show up but it's her son's best friend and it's like her like pseudo child yeah like what i mean how many harry's are showing up at her house and we also have another one of those much be it like a smaller space, the weird vertical staircase in the middle of the house. I'm fine with that one only because 
that's been depicted enough in the books. Like that, that one I visualized. Like that one I get because the Weasley's house has always been described as this like shoddily built kind of stack on top. Looks of Looks like other. magic's holding. Yeah, like and I get it, and I and it looks really great for filming. It's just like. It's, yeah, it, I'm with you, but that one makes sense to me only because they explained that neat, like that that parallels to the book experience and to all the visuals we see. Like, like when you look at the visual of Hogwarts, it looks like there's maybe five, six stories there. Yeah, doesn't look like there's like seventy five, um, which is yeah. what the, the uh, so I, I'm I'm with you, but not wholly. Um, I liked. I liked the flaming paper scene, the flaming daily profit. Again, they're using magic outside the house. I don't, outside school, I don't get that. That's whatever. Um, but when they're like, how old is he? Like 150, give or take a few years. They laughed a little too hard at that joke, if you ask me. Like they were kind of like falling over. Like Hermione kind of like keels over laughing, which is a bit much. But I liked the scene overall. It was nice. It was just like kids being kids, laughing about how it, old. It, was, it yeah. reminded me of the moment of the, the teaspoon in five, like where they just kind of like said something and just started laughing about how they were talking. Um, anything else from uh, Ottery St. Catchpole? No, I moved on to uh, the Unbreakable Vow. Yeah, so I want to say here, and then I'll let you kind of lead lead the section. Um, Helen McCrory, who recently passed away, um, who does minimal but good work here in Harry Potter. I got to know her a lot better through watching Peaky Blinders over the course of the pandemic, which is a phenomenal series on Netflix um, where she has a starring role. Um, she's phenomenal. She does very little in these movies and she's good with what she does, but having seen her act in other stuff now, Oh my goodness. Um, the only, the only thing I'll say about the scene, and again, all you is just imagine the energy on that set when you have Alan Rickman, Helena Bonham Carter, who are two of the most compelling uh, energies, if you will, right? Yeah, on very set. different types of energy, right. but very high energy in the way they use it. And then you have Helen McCrory and Timothy Spall, who were also very well-known, fairly intense actors in and of their own right. And you've just thrown all of them onto this tiny little, you know, library living room set. Yeah, it's a very intimate set. Yeah. It's very enclosed, but like it gives it so much power in that overall very simple scene that means a lot to the coming movies. I'll tell you that, that neighborhood, that set, not really that set, but that neighborhood means a lot to the coming films. Do you know what means a lot to creating magic podcast? Olipop. It's prebiotic botanical plant fiber sparkling tonic delivers, I believe, 35 wonderful calories per can with only two grams of sugar. Classic root beer flavor. Absolutely my favorite. I, I get this stuff on subscription every single month, maybe three weeks. I forget exactly how often I get sent, but it is just absolutely delicious. I was I had a friend over yesterday and I was telling them if I poured you a glass of this and I poured you a glass of like a leading root beer brand, you wouldn't be able to tell which was like the soda and which was the sparkling tonic plant fiber prebiotic, you know, absolutely insane. So to all the people at Alipop who have heard me begging y'all uh, for some free drink in exchange for all the plugging we've done here over the past year or so, 
Now, just know that I love your product. I will continue to love your product. And even if you send me free stuff, I'll continue to buy your product anyway. So uh, shouts like to you, Alibaba. putting them in the freezer and letting them freeze just slightly because they get like slurpy-ish. I would forget them and then you'd have explosions. Then you'd have it exploded. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would forget that. I, 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 You have the mind for that. I don't. But that's how I enjoy my Olipop. Listeners, how do you enjoy your Olipop? How do you enjoy your certifi- certified gluten-free, vegan, <laughs> no added sugar, paleo sparkling tonic? Send us a note, creatingmagicpodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on Instagram. DM us on Instagram at creatingmagicpodcast. Feel free to tell us in your Apple rating or review. Um, I guess not or, it'd be your Apple review. You can leave a five-star rating and then review. Uh, let us know in your Apple review how you enjoy your Olipop and what flavor you like the best. We'll uh, we'll be sure to give you a shout out on the show. So having said that, I'm going to sip the rest of this and we're going to get back into the podcast. So next up, we get a much different view of Diagon Alley than we have seen. And we get our first glimpse of Weasley's, which is more of what we expect of Diagon Alley. What are your thoughts? My only thought was I really wish they expanded Weasley's in Orlando to a second floor. That was my... <laughs> I was watching them come down the stairs. I'm like, oh, I wish we had more. That was my only thought while watching this entire scene. Was give, I mean, A, give me a lot better merch across Universal Orlando in terms of Harry Potter stuff. You and I had this conversation, and I was pretty dang agitated about it at the parks the other week. But the Weasley, uh, Weasley Wizard Weasley's at Orlando is probably my favorite part. If I were to isolate like a single thing, rather than just the overall aesthetic of Diagon Alley or whatever, right? The actual store is like my favorite set piece across the entire Wizarding World of Harry Potter at Universal. Give me a second floor. We'll go nuts for it. We absolutely will. Um, you can put more merch in there, good merch, mind you. I'll buy all of it. I'll use my annual pass holder discount. I will love it. Um, Universal Creatives, do yourself a favor. Sit back in your chair in your little apartment or house somewhere in the greater Orlando area. Sip your refrigerated Olipop and dream up how beautiful a second floor of WWW could be because I'm here for it. What do you think, having watched that scene? I... Really enjoy Weasley's. I love seeing all the stuff and the like chaos of it all. It's it very much feels like two teenage boys created this place and designed this place and just went with what they loved versus design aesthetic. Here's a question for you. I guess two questions. Ollivander's store gets sacked when they when they kidnap him and they they bomb it, right? They fire bomb it. Is the government not like locking the door to the store or something? Because Harry, Ron, and Hermione walk right in. Right in. I don't understand that. Did you understand that? No. I also like, is like Ron so annoyed at his brothers for not giving him a discount that he's like, hey, let's go wander the rest of Diagon Alley where nothing else is open. That's also a good point. Um, My other question for you. How... Do Harry, Ron, and Hermione get onto the roof that they spy on Draco from? The same way they lit a fire in the burrow? Well, the, the burrow one can be explained. They did magic, which is illegal, but they did magic. I can understand that. Yeah. How does one get on a roof? 
And maybe they found a ladder. Yeah, because there's yeah, I didn't understand that. Um, to the train. To the train. It's a creepy shop. He's a creepy bloke. Might be one of my favorite Ron Weasley lines. Um, thought that was really great. What do you think about the train? I love Ginny and Luna's little interaction of like, oh, hey, we're kind of we accept you now. You're not so weird. Here, let me take your weird magazine. Um, it always I always found the whole Draco Harry train scene a little odd. But um, I miss having that Tonks interaction in the middle of there, which is from the books. But I so I like Tonks, so I'm always like, give us more of her. I'm actually so so. Don't get me wrong, I love the Tonks scene, but Luna is the perfect replacement because this might be one of my favorite scenes. Yeah, no, movie. I think Luna is. I don't think anyone else could be the proper replacement. When Luna says, Rexperts, your head's full of them. And then Harry looks around. That was the best part. Luna, mm-hmm. and look, and Mama Lynch continues to nail it, right? But Harry looking around like he's going to see these supposedly real Rexperts is just, it nails it for me. Absolutely nails yeah. it. Um, I thought that was really, really good. Um, we'll say it's a bit of, there are times, not certainly, certainly not exclusive to Harry Potter, but there are times where dialogue in TVs or movies is just played too much, like a TV dialogue where you have to wait for the other person to stop talking before you start. Right? It's yeah. like way too kind of stilted. Yeah. Because and like, like I, well, because I say that because as Draco is saying, didn't your mother ever tell you not to spy Potter? Right at that point, if I'm Harry. The gig's up. Yeah. Right? Get your wand, start defending yourself. I don't understand. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. That Harry, who's Mr. Paranoia High Alert, is just sitting there like, oh, he is. No, we're good. He we're has good, no man. idea, but he left everyone leave and closed the door. And then has like a little mini like villain dialogue before he attacks me. Like there yeah. was that's where you got me, was the any know. that was I like, feel like this much- scene is also like setting up like, yes, we've seen Draco in the other movies, but I feel like the scene was also used to set up where like Draco's going to be important in this one. Yeah. My next note, the only thing it says, oh, Jenny. Well, so before before that, I will say Ron eating the jello again, watching Rupert Grint, watching Michael, or watching James Gandolfini uh, eat food, great stuff. Like some of the best stuff in the world. It's like visual ASMR. Um, Hermione going, will you stop like hitting him while she says it? <laughs> that, that love that. Um, and then yeah, Jenny. Oh God. But we're here, so I have to say it. I don't want to go into this whole thing again. But listeners, y'all have heard me time and time again explain how while I, I take no shots at Bonnie Wright, the actress, I'm sure it's equal parts negligence um, by her, by the by the producers, the director, etc. Book Jenny is just this fierce, strong, fiery, passionate, protective young woman. And instead you get, he's covered in blood again. Why is he always covered in his own blood? Or like whatever. And it's just like, it's, it's like monotone and there's no nothing. And like, yeah, it's, it, so here's what I'll say is, 
for all, never mind the debates over should Hermione have been with Harry or Ron. I'm not here for that. You can believe that in the movie, never mind the book, in the movie that Hermione and Ron are meant to end up together. Because for five movies now, for six, including this one, seven, including the next one, and finally in the eighth, there are moments where they have just little brushes of intimacy, brushes of tension, brushes of flirtation, right? There's all these little moments. And in and of themselves, if you don't know any better, they're not necessarily anything, but you see them together. Whereas Ginny is treated so similarly to like Dobby or even Malfoy to some extent where you get a couple scenes early on where Ginny plays a heavy presence. Then she's kind of gone for like, you know, two, three in a row. Then she comes back and you get this awkward hug in the burrow at the beginning of the movie, this monotone, why is he always covered in bloodline? And you're expected to believe that like the, she and Harry are meant to be, but there's no chemistry. And I don't necessarily blame that on the actors, although it's the actors performing. I blame that more on, they weren't given a chance to succeed because you're supposed to believe in the moment that having had zero interaction over the past five films, they're all of a sudden going to be madly in love with each other. I just don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. Potions class. Well, no, wait, 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 wait. Okay. The owl podium, when Dumbledore approaches mm-hmm. it and it fans its wings out. Yeah. That was really cool. I had never seen it do that before. Um, thought that was neat. Thing I didn't understand as much. When Dumbledore says Tom Riddle, and everyone whispers, doesn't make any sense to me. Because we've been told before that not many people knew Voldemort was Tom Riddle. To, to the extent that there were trophies with his name on them, big trophies at the school, and no one knew. But you're, you're telling me that when Dumbledore says Tom Riddle, everyone's going to be like, oh, my God, Tom Riddle. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Tom Riddle. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can't believe that was... That didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. At all. At all. Uh, but yes, um, we already talked about the McGonagall scene. I love that scene. Take Weasley with you. He looks far too happy over there. Um, potions class. And they fight over their books. I'm always annoyed that they like fight over the book because I'm like, Harry, you have money to really buy a new one. Just let Ron have a better book. I just, I just don't understand how they have the whole large kind of commotion. And no one from the class 10 feet away, like even looks or like Slughorn doesn't even make like a over the shoulder glance. Like it's these two, like, I mean, Harry's a small man, but it's these two teenage boys boys. going at it and no one even bats an eye. Nope. Didn't understand that. Um, Might be batting an eye. Well, she's batting more than an eye. Let me tell you. Um, I thought this was a really good class scene. I, it's, it's one of the class scenes, I, I probably because it's like more interactive that I enjoy rather than like just sitting at more desks. Well, it's also a real full class scene. Like, yeah. for instance, with McGonagall, you get a lot of plot exposition. Tell yeah, me about the chamber. Just walking through the know, class. Yeah. That sort of stuff. Um, you know, even, you know, Flitwick in one is just the quick little, you know, feather... You get like a full class worth of, of scene here. I thought it was really, really And you good. see like Hermione stressing out, trying to make a potion the whole entire class. Like Seamus blowing his face off, but having nothing other than like you know ash on his face. That was kind of wild. Um yeah, I thought that was good. I really liked that. Um so next is the next thing you have Dumbledore's office? 
Yes. All right. So I, I want to do another bit of a tangent here because I, I did some research today on this. So Dumbledore has his super clunky, are you and Hermione any boning question, right? Mm-hmm. And I, like, I notice you're spending a lot more time with her outside of a, you know, right? But here's actually, because every time I watch Half-Blood Prince, I bump up against like the two or three times that Dumbledore makes these odd comments about Harry, like with women, right? She was very pretty, the girl. Or are you and Hermione? Like, there's a couple moments like that. And they've always felt very awkward to me and very intentionally placed because it's not, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I went to the library, did my research. It was October. An actual library? No, that was my Hermione, you know, head nod. This movie came out in 2009, which means that, and it, and it started filming. This movie started filming. Gambin, Radcliffe, and Jim Broadbent showed up for filming late September 2007. It was October of 2007 that J.K. Rowling revealed that Dumbledore was gay. And we're not going to go into all that controversy. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm not here to talk about J.K.R. What I'm here to say is I think the timing is more than coincidental. Because there's, you know, Harry had the whole Cho thing for the past two movies, right? Like there's been times where if you wanted to insert weird comments about sexual interaction at Hogwarts, there have been moments in the past where you could have done so. Yeah. To me, it feels like Steve Cloves, JKR, David Heyman, David Yates, whoever, decided, okay, well, we she just announced that he's gay. We're filming this thing a month after she announced that. Let's throw in some lines that kind of, because they felt like she was very pretty. The girl is, is not necessarily how I think a stereotypical heterosexual male would comment on the attractiveness of a female. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I, I have no proof to this. I have no nothing to cite other than my own intuition, but something tells me that was more than just awkward writing and awkward line delivery all those times throughout this movie. I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on that at all. Not not particularly. Um, it always, always when he's like, "You're spending a lot of time with Hermione, dude." They've been best friends since first year. They're always they are the two people that don't fight in this trio. Like, it just to me that's a weird comment. I'm like, no, he's he is always with Hermione. Like Hermione and Harry don't fight. Like it'd be more weird to be like, not spending time with Ron again. I don't know. I just I. I like Harry and Hermione as a friendship, and I always have, and I will stand by that for me. Yeah, I sure. Um, you don't have to answer. No, I have no. I I don't think I have a thought on the matter. To be honest with you. Um, yeah, I just because like we've seen at this point three, four, five, three full movies worth of. Well, I guess I'll give him credit for five. We've seen two full movies worth of bad line ratings from Gambit. Yeah. Uh, this felt different than that, right? All those, like, mm-hmm. it just, yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah, it's, yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Um, the orphanage thing, I just wrote flashback to orphanage. I didn't take any notes here. Um, I did read somewhere that Christian Coulson, who played Tom Riddle in Chamber of Secrets, uh, had asked producers if he could come back for these, and they told him, you're nearly 30, you're way too old looking. No. <laughs> um, so they cast Ray Fiennes' I believe nephew or some cousin 
some familial tie of, of Voldemort, of Ray Fiennes, i.e. his young Voldemort in the orphanage scenes. Um, that's all I got. Is that what you got? I I enjoy the setup of how they do the pensive scenes. I always have like that little I agree. magic. I agree. Um, Quidditch? Quidditch. So it opens with Harry saying, just because you made the team last year doesn't mean you'll make it this year. This is the one moment we get the Ginny fiery scene in well, well, the movies. Yes, but my problem is, he says, just because you made the team last year doesn't mean you make it this year. Except for Ginny. Ginny apparently made the team because she's standing behind Harry organizing the tryout. That What? That doesn't make sense. So I, 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 don't, I didn't get that. I did not get that. The other thing I want to say... Ron should have at least three concussions after that tryout because even though he's wearing that leather helmet, that's not going to stop a fully flying quaffle from concussing your brain. And then a confundish charm on somebody who's on a broom is a really bad idea because Ron's not confundisted <laughs> and Ron almost falls off his broom because he's just an idiot. You confundish poor Cormie McLagan. That uh, feels like kind of creepy. That sure, but that could lead to his death. True. You confundus him, and he just kind of slides off the broom. He's done for. That's all I'm Poor saying. Poor choice. That's all I'm saying. Poor choice. I have no problem with her confundusing him. You know, f- for the plot, whatever. I'm fine with that. Confundus away, right? You got to cheat to get your love. I'm with you. Um, but dude could have died. Next thing I have is the three broomsticks. Did I miss anything in between there and then? Nope, just another little view of Lavender Brown and love. Lav, Lav, yeah. Um, three broomsticks. She's great as Lavender. Yeah, she is. Um, she's really good as Lavender. But again, another, I mean, not that you get a lot of Lavender in the books in, pre, in, in what would have been the previous films. Um, because, I mean, you get some of Lavender in the books, obviously, but you don't get her ever flirting with Ron, necessarily. No. Um, and then all of a sudden, she shows up in this one. So Jesse Cave has to be kind of obnoxious and very teenage. Yeah, because you miss all those little scenes of her just being annoying because she's all into divination. and Right. Yeah, so I thought she was great. I agree. Yeah. Um, three broomsticks. Ginny is making out in the corner. I, again, Rupert Grint. I'd like to leave. Like the way he delivers that line, just great. Absolutely great. I thought that was awesome. I thought, um, again, Jim Broadman did a phenomenal job. All hands on deck, Ranger. That's a great line. I love that. Um, here's a question for you. Let me, uh, let me, two questions. What, well, so what were they drinking at Three Broomsticks? Is question one. Question two is does, well, no, question one, what were they drinking? I don't know what did they order. Well, because Harry what? says anyone fa- Harry says anyone fancy a butter beer. Yeah. So then they show up to three broomsticks. Their drinks are exceptionally orange in color, which is why I ask. It has the foam like the butter beer at Universal does, and but they it's said more the color of like pumpkin juice. It's more the color of pumpkin juice. It was oddly orange, but then the so then my second question is let's assume they were drinking butter. It really doesn't matter what they were drinking, but let's assume it was butterbeer. 
when they're leaving the three broomsticks and walking back through the snow, Hermione's acting drunk. Yes. It is, we've talked about this before with Winky. Or, well, there was no Winky in the movies, but is Butterbeer alcoholic? I don't think Butterbeer is alcoholic. Then why is she acting drunk? I don't know. <laughs> but she definitely has like that moment of, I'm a little tipsy. I'm kind of, you know, like Jack Sparrow walking. And, she's, you know, a little... she's not the type to just like throw her arms around. No, no, yes, we've seen her run into them and hug them regularly. But having like both arms around both boys, it's not. That's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I, I I didn't. Yeah, um, McGonagall. Yeah. Um, well, Katie Bell, yeah, she gets cursed. You want to say something about that? Well, I mean, wait, there's nothing really to say about it, but uh, I think the filming of it was very good. Like, not what I expected from like the books, I guess, but also very different type of magic and darker magic that we see, and I think it comes off very well. I actually disagree. In as far as I remember from the book, and it's been a while since I read it, but she kind of rose with this like graceful elegance, kind of hung there, and then fell very aggressively and violently mm-hmm. towards the ground. Whereas in this, she kind of like jerks around a lot, not dissimilar to when Harry's yeah. broom is cursed in in uh, Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, it, it seemed a little odd to me. Um, I didn't I didn't love it. Why is it always you three? Yeah. Why is it always you three? Uh, believe me, Professor, I've been asking myself that for six <laughs> years. It's such a great meta commentary on the whole series, that those two lines. Um, here's my question for you. When, when Harry's like, it was Draco, and Snape's like, oh, such gifts you have that mere mortals dream of, pure intuition. Do you think Snape is like actually secretly impressed? Because he knows that it's Draco. Right, like when Harry's like it's Draco and Snape's like you're being ridiculous. You need more than intuition, you ass. But yeah. like the subtext is Snape knows that this was. Like yeah, like, you think Snape's like, oh damn, Harry actually like okay, like you know maybe or maybe he's like, why haven't the rest of these fools have figured this out yet? <laughs> like true. Like the signs are there. He's come to school a completely different person. He's dressing just like his father. Like there are signs something has happened to this child. Yeah, I just, I, I, you know, as Snape was saying, like, you just know, right? Like, I'm like, but he's right, though. That's the thing. And, like, Snape knows he's right. It's not that it should be the viewer knows. It's that Snape knows. Um, so I, I, I always kind of wonder that. Um, the dorm, they're in their, um, they're in their four posters talking about women and their nice skin. No, it's 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 it runs so true to form. Um, I never, I never had a friend's sibling who I had like a real crush on, like a like an actual like love interest. But I had many a friend who had hot siblings, and there is right around that time, like when you, once you get older, like once you get into like college you're more brazen with like teasing your friend about their hot sister. But when you're in that awkward, like early high school kind of age range, it's a lot more of a delicate dance. I I understand this conversation makes a ton of sense to me is all I'm saying. Um, On the other side of that, I hate those conversations. I'm not saying it's great. I'm just saying I, (laughs) like this felt true to form. Like this wasn't like, 
some weird yeah. stilted like I was like okay no I get this I've been there and then Slughorn's party oh this is the other stupid this is the final one I commented on about the state of the wishing world society and economy I can understand how wizards don't have electricians because well <laughs> electricity is a thing that's magically run because you know whatever I can understand how they don't have things maybe like plumbers or or architects or whatever, right? They don't have dentists? What? They have teeth. Teeth are not a thing that are exclusive to muggles. Wizards they have, have this plumbers though, because Hogwarts has plumbing. Well, but theor- well, that's a good point. I was gonna say theoretically wizards. And it was added in it. later on. Oh, we so. do know that because they used to poop all over the castle. Um yeah, like they, he doesn't know what a dentist is. Yeah, that's. I don't get that. I don't either. I'm going to the dentist tomorrow. Oh, I'm not. I was going to say me too, but I'm not. That's okay. <laughs> that's false. Um, I just, I, I, it didn't make any sense to me. But also, yeah, this is, I will say, while I don't, while they don't really have chemistry and to be fair, Bonnie Wright really doesn't do a great job with a lot of her scenes throughout the films. At least, let me put it this way. She does not do a great job relative to what I would have set her direction to be. Maybe she did exactly what the directors asked her to do. And that's a larger question that goes beyond her acting choices. But what we're, what I'm saying is where she doesn't do a great job. Throughout this movie, Harry does a great job being like, hey, I want to bone her. Like when she walks in and Harry does that abrupt stand, like, Again, not I have not been exactly there, but I've been there. Like that, that felt true to form. Radcliffe nailed that. Yeah, and in fact, he does nail that later on um, down by the lake. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. His comedic chops in this whole film are great. Dan Radcliffe has so many talents quite obviously as an actor, as a performer, as an artist, his physical comedy might be his best trait. I saw him on Broadway in lifespan of a fact, um, which is a three person play. Um, he was outstanding largely due to his physical humor and his timing and all that stuff. And you see it throughout this movie. You're right. Um, for someone who's not, like large, like typically when, you, when I think about physical comedy, I think about like uh, Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond. Like I think about, you know. I think that's your personal bias. Well, yeah, but typically physical humor, you think about people who are awkwardly tall or have long legs or limbs, people who are larger, right? Like people who manipulate their large body in a way yeah, that goes kind of against what you necessarily would expect. And I take advantage of like, the awkwardness of their body. Right. Dan Radcliffe is a very average, if not smaller male. So like there's like just based purely on his stats, right? There's no reason why he should be so good at physical comedy, but he really knows how to manipulate all of his gestures, his facial expression. It's really good. It's phenomenal. Yeah. And this is coming up, but like specifically the whole liquid luck scene. Oh yeah. That was great. Like hands down. That's like, I just enjoy watching it because of how he is. And even like when they're in like the Hagrid's hut and he's just clapping like a two-year-old, like, oh, I'm supposed to clap here. Um, 
I don't have any comments on the Quidditch match, only that it happened. My next comments on the, the party in, in the common room. Okay, let's discuss the party. I really love the, I suppose I could have just used the Cavundus charm line that Harry gives to Hermione. Because, like, it acknowledges that, like, Harry knew, right? Like, Harry knew. And, okay, like, it says a little bit about Harry's morals that he's, like, willing to let slide to let his best friend on the team over the better, whatever. But I thought that was great. Um, I liked and I didn't like Ron kind of just like staring out over the party as they chant his name. Mm-hmm. I like it in that he's taking it all in and like it's the first time it's probably happened for him, but I dislike it and that's just not how people act. Yeah. Like if someone's doing that, you're like either like high five and your buddies or you're pounding a, a supposedly alcoholic butterbeer. Like you're doing something. You're not just kind of standing there as like everyone does that. So anywho, um, that all leads to Ron Ron and Lav Lav tonguing it down in the middle of the common room. Um, any thoughts on the tongue on tongue action, Danielle? No. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Or should we not share your thoughts? On no, the- this is a P- this is a PG podcast. I have nothing to share other than they uh, they did a little kiss kiss. Hermione runs away. Hermione and I, Harry have that whole little scene. It's a good scene between them. Yeah, it is. It is. Then Ron shows up and the birds go splat. I love the birds. Yeah, those are good. I don't know where in the castle they are. I'm not sure. I just always assume it's like some like random stairwell. Yeah, it, it, it's another... So it's another one of the things that is confunding on a couple levels because, like, a where are they in the castle? I assumed it's a random stairwell as well, but I've never seen that. It doesn't. I'm to assume she left the common room because it doesn't look like you're in Gryffindor Tower at the next scene, but no. I don't know that. And then B, Harry found her. Well, that too. But I was going to say B. I thought they weren't allowed out of their common rooms at night. And so it's like very odd that multiple sets of students are just kind of roaming these random... Anyhow, it doesn't matter. It couldn't matter, but it was a little bizarre. Um, library, is that where you're at? This is when I stopped to watch Doctor Who and I came back, so my notes are a little... Off. Yeah, I'm still going for another half page, then I'm out. All right, well... So... Library. Yeah, next thing that's library. I love this scene. I love this scene so much. I love, again, Radcliffe's physical humor of kind of the look he gives Ramilda Vane followed up the chosen one yeah I am the chosen one just great Uh, like I found that hilarious um it's something you would say like if it applied to you in life well I, I I love it because Harry is so deeply uncomfortable with using his quote unquote status in any way, shape, or form. Doesn't want free stuff, doesn't want attention, doesn't want priority, doesn't want anything, just wants to be a normal kid. And then he's told some girl wants to PG podcast, some girl wants to spend time with him. And he's like, oh, but I, I kind of am the chosen one, you know. Um, I just think that's so funny. Um mm-hmm. no comment on if I would use that myself. Um I'm not commenting on that. Um, you don't have to. 
Slug Club. Slug Club. Neville as a waiter is just so messed up. It's just because, <laughs> like, because what does that say? Because he wasn't invited. He makes that clear. So then, are we to assume that Neville wanted to be there so badly that he was willing to volunteer to be a waiter, to be like the like the service staff? Just so also, I love Neville. We know this. He's one of my favorite characters. Neville is not the person I want carrying trays. Well, that too. Sure. That's a really good point I hadn't thought about. He's going to drop stuff left and right. But like... Is, is, is Neville volunteering to go just to help out so he can be there? I, I would assume Neville would just go hide in the dorm quietly. He'd want nothing to do with it. But if he's a person who when it comes down to it, has not connected with a lot of friends. You know, like he knows the trio, but he doesn't have his own solid core group of friends and all the people he does know seems to be going to this party. You yeah. kind of play out your own way. No, 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 no. Because then you're the, because no, because you're different than everyone else then. When but all he's you, always different than everyone yeah, else. But when, it doesn't yeah, change anything. But when all you want to do is fit in, the last thing you want to do is make yourself stand out more. Right? Like, but like, if you're one of those people that's trying to fit in, you're going to still try, even though logically, yes, it makes you stand out. You're still nah, going to try. No, nah, I'll tell you what. In high school, I forget if it was like winter formal or prom or whatever it was. We had some dance and, and all of us, like me and my buddies and our dates, you know, we all went out to dinner beforehand. It was a nicer place, like one of the nicer places in town. And we show up. And who's one of our waiters, but one of our classmates, who wasn't a close friend of ours, but we went to a small school and he was in our grade and he clearly wasn't going to the dance that night. It's the most awkward thing. Now, you don't want to bring more. If you're a quote unquote outsider who just wants to be one of the group, you don't call more attention to yourself by making yourself directly subservient to that group. I, I just don't, I don't think that runs true to form. I thought it was so awkward that Neville was there. I'm trying to determine if that's something I would have done because unlike you, I did not fit in with anyone. I never said I fit in with anyone. I said I had a group. Whether if I fit in, a, whether I fit in with them or not, it's a different question. You'd have to ask them. You at least knew how to pretend to fit in with other people and had groups of friends. Fair. Um, I just, I just. To me, that felt like they needed to give um, Matthew Lewis some scenes. And so they were like, all right, we're just going to throw you in as a waiter here and give you a couple lines. Because I just, I'm telling you. Is he a waiter in the book? He helps in the books because they have that bathroom conversation. That one's even weirder. That's right. That one felt weirder than me to me than where he's like handing out towels in a bathroom. Sure. Moral of the story. I just, it, it felt very odd to me. Even in the book, it feels odd to me that I, I just, I, I don't think, I just, yeah. Um, Cormac throws up on Snape, Dragon Balls. Um, that's really all I got from here. Um, anything? Nope. Next up, we're headed to the burrow. Yeah. So here's my one cup. Well, no, I've got a couple. Here's my, let's put the burrow up into two scenes. 
to, there's all the dialogue and then there's the completely unnecessary burning of the borough. Um, from all the dialogue, the most interesting thing that stood out to me for the first time here that I'd never really thought about before was when Lupin says, you're blinded by hatred. Harry says, no, I'm not. Lupin says, yes, you are. It's funny because, again, Harry's right. What's actually true is Lupin is the one who is blinded by his perception of Harry's biases. Because Harry's saying, guys, Draco's a Death Eater. Draco's up to shit. We got to, you know. And Lupin's like, no, you just hate this kid. You're not right. But it's Lupin who is foisting his own perceptions of Harry onto the same. And so it, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, I, I just thought that line was fascinating because it was he was talking about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you have from this first half of, of the borough? I love the scene when it's just Arthur and Harry, like in the little workshop situation, like literally having like probably one of the first actual like father son type of talks that Harry's probably ever had where like they're sharing conversation. Arthur's not like looking down to Harry as a child, but having like an actual conversation and not like a I'm in charge type of conversation. Yeah, that was good. Um, So then the lead in is Jenny saying, open up you, which PG podcast, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, Ron with the pies. Again, Ron just, <laughs> Rupert Grant sails under the radar throughout these films because that's kind of his role. But oh my God, he is so good. Um, the, st- <laughs> the stairwell scene. <coughs> the stairwell scene. Two things I'll say here. Book Jenny never in her life bends down to tie Harry's shoes. Just never. Doesn't happen. Doesn't ever come close to happening. Short of Harry having broken arms, broken hands, and broken legs, and he physically can't tie his own shoes, Ginny's not tying Harry's shoes for him. Just doesn't happen. Then... So it's nighttime. Why have shoes on? Inside the house. The whole thing is odd. Yeah. Uh, my mother taught me you never wear shoes inside a house or anyone else's I just uh, yeah I'm with you um, the only thing I will say is the way the camera shoots Ginny tying Harry's shoes can be interpreted by at least one person in this world me presumably more because I can't be the only one who sees this it looks the camera is the camera is suggestive of suggestive entanglement, and I'll leave it at that. Go back and watch that scene, and I'm just I'm telling you, it could really take a whole different turn. And for people that want to hear this whole conversation, it's been included in previous episodes. I've talked about this many times before. Yes. I just then the burrow burns down. That's my response to that. I hate it. It's stupid. Again, I guess it serves. So I actually think it serves a couple different purposes. I I think it's stupid. I agree. But I think it's meant to A, give Helena Bonham Carter some more, you know, screen time. B, be a callback to 
the Ministry of Magic when he's chasing her through the halls there. But then I was thinking about this scene, the preceding scene, and the successive scene. So Harry in the library, when Harry says, I am the chosen one, and he's doing it jokingly about trying to get with Romilda, and Hermione kind of chastises him. Then you have this where this scene where the burrow burns down, Harry chases Bellatrix into this random marsh. They have this bizarre standoff, and then everyone goes home like nothing happened. But then in the next scene, when Harry and Hermione are walking through the halls, Hermione says, you're the chosen one. You have to know the type of bad stuff that this can happen to you. And Harry gets irritated and goes, I know I'm the chosen one. I know this can happen. To me, it was it felt like they were trying to construct that kind of duality of mm-hmm. kind of sarcastic, happy, kind of, you know, boyish, I'm the chosen one. This is fun. I almost lose my life. And then I'm the chosen one. I know this is serious. Like that's yeah. what it felt like to me. It, it doesn't work, obviously, because it's such a bad scene. But that I think that's what they were trying to do. I still don't like it. Um, the last note I have for the entire movie is, "Excuse me, I have to go and vomit," which is like one of the best gifts that I use on like a weekly basis. Um, so I don't know what happens after this sequentially in the movie, but that's that's where I left off. My next thing I have, well, the. Liquid luck scenes. Francis the fish. We talked about Daniel Radcliffe and his skills during this section. Yeah, you missed you missed the best part. That's your job. That was phenomenal. <laughs> your body will decay. Your soul. Whatever it is. It's great. Absolutely great. Um I'll tell you what I have I have both passed out drunk and seen others pass out drunk many a time it doesn't happen with such sudden movement the way Hagrid's sitting there singing and all of a sudden like without a moment's notice kind of like very rapidly and kind of almost dangerously slams his head back it's much more of like a your head starts to droop you're kind of half talking you're not you're half, he's like uh, 70 uh, that's right I'm here um, I, yeah. So, if anyone needs to know how Stephen falls asleep when drunk, this is what happens. No, that's not. We're not even going to go into that because that's <laughs> it's a dark path to go down. But anywho, I was. <clears throat> I get they were doing it for effect, but I was like, that's yeah. not how a drunk person passes out. I've been, that's not how that works. Um. I thought all the Slughorn stuff, again, I, I thought Slughorn was good throughout this entire movie. Jim Broadman's a phenomenal actor. Uh, he he plays really well with Dan. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what's next? Um, we go from them. Okay, that scene actually came after Liquid Love before. Sorry, uh, my notes are a little out of whack because I went to Poisoned Weasley and that happened before the liquid look. Poisoned Weasley, again, I, the only thing I'll say here, phenomenal work by Rupert Grant. Like the way he falls off the couch, the way he's like, I think I love, like the, all it, he, he's just great. He's just yeah. great. He's great. Um, yeah. Draco scenes. I, I don't you can talk about these i don't really care like i they're important and he does them well i don't really I, how much can you do with uh transporting a bird through a portal or 
or staring at the room. Like he does well, and I'm not saying he doesn't. He, he carries all the emotional weight that he has to. But like, what what do you want from me? You know, I thought it was well. Fine. This now leads into the fight scene of Draco and Harry. So let's include that in the Draco scenes. I just okay. So again, the color tones of this movie. If this is one of those where again, I felt like they were working backwards. Like to me, it feels like they knew they wanted the red of Draco's blood on like the cold kind of white, black and white marble and water. So and therefore, they said, "Oh, very blonde, platinum hair." Right. And so it, it, the color tones bothered me, but we covered yeah. that. Um, all of a sudden, these children know how to do wandless or uh, 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 silent magic. What's the word I'm looking for yeah. here? That felt odd to me. Like, it makes sense because we know in the books they start to learn that. But in the movie, there's not even, like, a head nod. And, like, you get a snippet of a class scene where it's like, today we're learning, you know. And so all of a sudden they're just casting all these silent spells. until so Harry's like, I have to use the one spell I talked about earlier. Second separate. You know, like, it was odd. Yeah. Um, here's my question for you, actually. I didn't write this down, but I thought about it. They go in that horribly awkward kiss scene, which might be one of the worst kisses recorded on film or television, to the room of requirement to hide the book. Ginny says, we have to hide it so no one can ever find it. Why didn't they just destroy the book? Hermione knows a thousand different spells. You're telling me she can't use Defindo a bunch of times or uh, whatever they use on the locket in the next, like Repulso or whatever. Or just throw it in the actual fireplace in the common room. You that's, don't have to even do magic. That's even better. Just throw it in the it's fire. Not a, it's a potions book. It's not a magic book. I don't and understand. Like, yeah. Hasn't Ginny learned any lessons about trying to uh, hide a book and get it away from her from book that's, two? It's also a good point. Like she's been here. Like it's also a very good point. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't fully understand that. Um, so next up, let's go into the section about. Getting the Horcrux. Harry gets the uh, answer <laughs> of what Slughorn's been hiding, and that it's Horcruxes. And so now they're going to go hunt for Horcruxes. Oh, this was another thing I want to talk about. When Dumbledore says this is far beyond anything I ever could have imagined, no, it's not. You already, no, 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 sir. You already quite literally know there are multiple Horcruxes or whatever. You literally you just were. laid out three in front of him. Yeah. So, and, and, no, yeah, that was that was awful. That was that was really bad. Like I can't imagine this, but hey, let me show you three of them that I've already found. Yeah, I really didn't like that. Um, again, I think the color tones are just so off in the entire cave scene. It's just like it's way too like fluorescently white on their faces and his hair. Very bright. Looks, Everyone looks pale. Yeah, I didn't love that at all. Um, I otherwise like I mean look I the construction of the scenes themselves I think are fine I think the acting is not bad from Gambin I think it's good from Radcliffe like I think it all works it just for me this movie really not fail it's a strong word this movie takes a hit for me on its color tone choices it really takes away a lot of the viewing experience it's not dissimilar to how I think people felt about the Battle of Winterfell in the final season of Game of Thrones, where it was so dark that you couldn't really see it too well. Not the exact same thing here, but like 
the choices made with light and color are obviously you have to make some choices. I understand that you're a cinematographer, you're a photographer, you're a director, whatever, but they went so far to the extreme that it actually takes away from the experience for me. Yeah. Like we understand that the movie's content is getting darker. That doesn't necessarily mean the movie has to get darker. Yeah. So they get the Horcrux, they fight the Inferi, which aren't really ever pre-explained or explained for that matter, or post-explained. They're kind of just there. Um, Harry kind of drowns and it's like, wait a minute, there's still two more of these to make. He can't die here. But the um, wand is not in my hand anymore. Yeah. yeah, well, the wand's not in his hand when he gets it from the Dementors in Order of the Phoenix and Little Whinging. I know. Uh, it, it, yeah, I'm with you. Um, he had it and then he was in the water, no wand. No, I'm with but... you. I'm with you. Um, they get back. Dumbledore's like, I need Severus. I need Severus. I think it was interesting that they chose for the very last words Dumbledore says to Harry to be trust me. Mm-hmm. All right. So again, this whole movie, if you want to distill their relationship in this movie, is a domineering Dumbledore imploring Harry to just follow him. Right? Do as I say, take my hand. Trust me. Ask questions. Right. And so yeah, it was interesting to me that, hey, just trust me, Harry. And then he goes off and Harry watches him get killed and this whole thing. Um, what did you think of that whole, the whole death sequence? It's, and I know we don't like comparing book to movie. It's an interesting choice to not have immobilized Harry because it's out of character for him not to have responded. And like, I, for what it is, it does work, but I also know in the back of my head, I'm like, he wouldn't have just stopped and waited. Yeah, I agree. I have nothing Um, to add there. Alan Rickman's performance in this scene I, he does great and everything but in this scene like you hear him like right when he gets to like getting ready to kill Dumbledore and he has like that hitch in his voice like he does so well with those little inflections that if you don't know where this is going you wouldn't catch it but you understand that he's like you understand the underlying things within their conversation once you know how this actually ends. Well, even if you don't, I think, you know, he starts this movie by saying Dumbledore's a great wizard. Only a fool would think otherwise to, to Bellatrix. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, this, this whole movie kind of sets up that no matter where Snape ends, he's choosing to, to cross the Rubicon with this, right? He can no longer hide. He's finally made his choice and say, okay, it's not that just both these wizards are great, it's that both are great, but I'm seemingly allied to Voldemort. Like, this is it, right? This is where Snape can no longer play the double act. And so I think it's a great moment where, I, well, the adult Dumbledore, whatever, but I think Snape, you know, to your point, Rickman's performance is particularly good here because it doesn't betray anything that's coming up, but only at, if, if you believe Snape is bad, his performance contributes to it. If you believe Snape is good, his performance here helps vin- helps explain the vindication coming later. And like even with like Dumbledore's pleas, like that conversation going in there. 
Um, why did they take the vanishing cabinet in, go through the entire castle to walk out to then apparate? I don't know, but I'm really fine with it because I love Helen Bonham Carter going, yeah, like doing the little, like, like the, stomping it, down the, the tables. Yeah, like stomping down the tables, then like blowing up Hagrid's hut, and then kind of like doing that like maniacal laugh and like dance. That was great. Absolutely great. It makes zero logical sense when Harry's, when Snape's like, he belongs to the Dark Lord. Just take him with you. This is, if I'm any of the other Death Eaters, I'm like, no, just take him with We'll bring him back. We don't got to kill him here, but we'll bring him with us to go see the boss. We're going to see the boss right now. It's a plot. Obviously, it's a plot mechanism, whatever, right? It happens in the books. I'm with you. But it, 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 it betrays any form yeah. of logic because it's like, okay, he, we're not going to kill him. That belongs to Boss Man, but we can go take him to Boss Man. Um, and then every single student is dressed in the courtyard. Yeah, bizarre, sure. I don't hate the wands up thing as much as I know a lot of people tend to. I actually like that. It's yeah. just, I think it's, I understand the point of it, but like McGonagall being in the crowd and everyone just letting Harry run up to Dumbledore, it, that feels a little weird. No, that that tracks for me. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. Yes, but like McGonagall and all the professors just standing there looking at a dead body with the entire student body. Well, I, I can understand that one too, because despite McGonagall's superior sense of organization and matronly professorial leadership, you know. Uh, everyone kind of views Dumbledore with this immortal reverence, right? Where they simultaneously don't know what to do without him, but also don't think he'd ever be gone. So it doesn't matter. So the second he finally is gone, no one knows what to do. I actually, I I didn't bump up against that. I understand like the shell shocked, you know, you know, paralysis that they kind of all have there. Uh, I, I was fine with that. And then we end with our trio up on the tower. Yeah, stupid ending. Um, I never realized how beautiful this place is or whatever. Stupid ending. Also, let's just hang out on the astronomy tower where he just fell off of. Yeah, bizarre, bizarre choice. Um, Didn't really understand that one either. Um, The conversation, the, the dialogue, I think... With like Hermione and talking about like you're not going alone, worked. That worked. The last line was stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm with. Yeah. Okay. Huh, sure. Um, who or what was the best scene for you? Mm, nothing really like stood out exceptionally for me during this one. Um. I really did enjoy the Arthur Perry scene, but there's nothing that I'm like, oh, that was a great scene. I really enjoyed that. You told me like the Felix Felicis scene. You said that. I want to take a whole section of scenes. Sure, but that counts. That's like a whole. There's no. We're not the. We're not the academy. I enjoy it, but we're we're not the academy here. The the Hollywood Foreign Press. You can. There's no hard rules. Yeah, I, I enjoy. I don't. I don't know. What is your favorite scene? Um. Yeah, I mean, the Felix Felicis stuff is very good, but I would probably say Snape's house. I, I just, 
Helena, Helena Bonham Carter, Helen McCrory, and Alan Rickman in a room where <laughs> it's kind of sort of like the one <laughs> if you've ever watched The Office and you've watched the Murder in Savannah episode we're at the very end of the episode. It's a dinner party murder mystery that they do in the office. At the very end of the episode, like the, like the outro or whatever, the, the credit scene, whatever you want to call it, the last scene, it ends with Michael pointing two finger guns at Dwight, pointing two finger guns at Andy, pointing two finger guns at Pam. And they're all in like a square going like yeah, pointing finger guns at each other because everyone is suspicious of everyone else and no one okay, trusts them. Spider-Man scene. I can't speak to that. I have no idea if that's true. Um, Every single line that any of those characters is giving in that room, everyone else is trying to decipher and interpret. Like every word matters. Every word can go different ways. There is such subterfuge going on in that tiny little living room. And I just thought it was wonderfully acted. Um, So I'm going with that. I think... I think that was really good. Who uh, who won the movie for you? I guess Harry. You don't get a lot of the other characters throughout it. No one super sticks out. I'll go with Harry. You're really coming down on this movie in a really bored kind of sounding manner as no. we wrap this episode. What was your favorite scene? Huh. Who was your favorite character? Huh. Did you like this movie? And I'm asking genuinely. I'm not trying to be an ass. Like I, I enjoyed it. No, I did enjoy it. I did like it. I just... There's nothing... Like, it's not anything where I feel like anything, like, stuck out particularly for me. And... Like, usually there's, like, my, like, might be a scene that I'm, like, oh, I really, like, connected with that scene or really enjoyed that. But I was just, like, no, everything was kind of on an even level across this one. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's fair. Um, who won the movie for me? I, I mean, I think the unwritten winner, like, the unspoken winner is Voldemort. You know, you're speaking strictly because Voldemort kills Dumbledore. He's not even in this movie. Yeah, he can still win the movie. His main adversary was just murdered on his orders. Right? In his mind, he doesn't know the Horcrux is gone. His main adversary is dead. Seemingly the Wizarding World's biggest protagonist is gone. Right? Its defender is gone. Darkness had its day. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I... You can make an argument for Dumbledore or for Voldemort. You can make an argument for Slughorn. I thought Jim Broadbent did phenomenal. I thought Rupert Grint again did phenomenal. But Rupert Grint does phenomenal in ways that are inconsequential, like, like because of the way he's written. Right? No one, like no one's. Like Ron's, Ron's choices throughout a movie never make or break a movie, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of its plot or its enjoyment. But Rupert Grint did not say, I, I thought Alan Rickman was outside. I, I got to say Snape. I got to say Snape. 
uh, even without knowing the way the story ends, I think Snape thought he acted phenomenally. I thought he hit all the right notes. I thought, yeah, I thought I, I think Snape wins. Um, what was the most surprising thing for you? I don't think I was really surprised about anything. You are just really even keel about this movie. Hey, well, there wasn't like anything like, oh, I forgot about that. It just. You know, people come to this podcast, at least theoretically, for some form of entertainment. Yes. Oh, that's your job. All right. So you've got nothing surprising. Okay. Um, what I found generally surprising, not just about this movie, but about all the ones that she is in. It's not dissimilar to Rupert Grint, actually, in that Luna does not hold a plot critical role in any of the movies. You could you could easily move her dialogue to someone else, move her choices to someone else, and the movie would be just fine. And because she does a job that is so good, I think it's easy to forget that she does such a good job. Mm-hmm. And so I would say that I was surprised by how much I noticed how good Ivana Lynch was, but in all the movies that she's in, right? But this one in particular, I thought yeah, she's, she's in, and most of her scenes are like smaller scenes, but she just does them so well. Yeah, like, yeah, it's very easy to lose track. Like the of, whole, we are friends, Luna. It's very easy to lose track of like a Von Lynch of Rupert Grint. Well, no, let me rephrase that. It's very easy to lose track of Luna Lovegood, of Ron Weasley. It's very easy in theory to lose track of characters like Lavender Brown, like Ginny Weasley, like Neville Longbottom, right? Characters who are part of like the B cast, C cast of school children, right? And it's easy to lose track of Ron and Luna in particular because of how good uh, Rupert and Ivana are. You can't lose track of Ginny because of how bad Bonnie Wright is, right? Like if, if Bonnie Wright put in, and I, I'm not, I say Bonnie Wright, I'm not wholly blaming her. As we've talked about so many times on this podcast, can't tell you what was her decision versus a director choice versus a writing choice, whatever. Right. But she is the embodiment of the character. So I'm just going to use her name as the vessel for this. If Bonnie Wright had done a quote unquote, good job with Ginny, right. Fiery, aggressive Ginny. That is a good match for Harry. Someone who is a good foil for him and all that. Right. She probably would fall in that category too, because she would be doing what you expected of her. And I'd be like, Oh yeah, like Ginny did a good job. Sure. Um, but instead, the choices are so wrong that it's so noticeable. That it's so, noticeable, whereas... Yeah. No, that makes sense. That, that's all to say that I think Ivana Lynch, Luna Lovegood, was outstanding. And mm-hmm. um, that was most surprising for me. Is that She also has a book that just released. Well, folks, go ahead to your local independent bookseller and buy something about butterfly hunting by Ivana Lynch. It's the opposite of butterfly hunting. Go buy the opposite of butterfly hunting by Ivana Lynch. Maybe I'll have to buy that for myself for the holidays. Not a bad idea. Uh, you can always use a new book. Danielle, what are you uh, thinking as we embark soon on HP7P1? 
HP seven part one. We get to see a lot of the woods. Would you say that we go into the woods? And out of the woods? And home before dark? And happy ever after. I don't think the happy ever after comes in part one. I wish more than life, more than anything, more than the moon. As for what I'm surprised, what I'm thinking as we head into HP7V1, when I first watched the movie, emotions of seeing the second to last Harry Potter aside, I didn't love it. Like It felt like a movie to me where nothing happened. Having watched the movie more and more over the years, I've come to appreciate it a lot more and quite frequently kind of rank it up among my like top three favorite Harry Potter films. So, so those are obviously coinciding opinions. I'm excited to see where I fall on it now, thinking about it much more critically through the lens of having to do this podcast. Um, because, yeah, I didn't love it at first, and then I really came to appreciate it. So, um, and- yeah. I remember it. I think also when we first saw this movie, it was a hard movie to watch and then be like, we have to still wait for the second. And it felt like nothing happened. And now we still have to wait a year or two to get the continuing thing. Anywho, I'm excited to watch HB7P1. Listeners, here's my commitment to you. And I say this now, and only A, I'll forget about it five times between then and now, and B, I probably won't do it. But my commitment to you is I'm going to try my hardest to put together a revised Into the Woods song with thematics that pertain to the plot of Deathly Hallows Part 1. That is what I commit to you here on this day, this very podcast. So um, don't expect it, but I'm going to try to remember it. And with that, episode out. Mm-hmm.